Praise and Worship is a community of people in Branson, Missouri, who are gathering, growing, being encouraged, and sharing with others the love and hope of Jesus. Learn more online at branson.church. I've told some of you this story, but not everybody knows the story. It's time to tell the story to everybody. Some of you guys might know we're getting ready to, here in the coming weeks or however long it's going to take, and it'll be God's timing, we're going to move as a congregation to our new praise and worship center, which is being built just a few miles away. And um, you need to know that when I got out of seminary, if you had asked me, which was only five years ago, just under five years ago, if you had asked me, um, like, Mark, do you want to do you want to go to a church where you like build a big building and you become a mega church and do all these things? I'm like, never, never, no way, ever, no way, Jose. And, but but what if you need more space? Eh, we'll find more space. We'll figure it all out. I'm never going to do that. Never going to do that. And so then through the course of time, you know, the problem is we ran out of space. And as you look around the room, you can see what's going on. Even on daylight savings time, there's only a few empty chairs. Praise God. But the thing about it is, is that I had my mind, this is what we're going to do, right? And of course, as usual, God has other plans and he's, he's awesome that way. But you need to know the story of how it happened. So two summers ago, summer of 2018, we as a congregation gathered in this room on a Sunday night, and we, 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 we said, okay, here's the facts. The facts are our congregation is growing. We can't seem to find a place to rent that we can find. At least we don't see one yet. Lord, would you guide us in our next step? We prayed that. And there was a, you know, quite a few people here. We prayed that together, and then we went to work. We sent out a team to discover where we could go, what we could do. And they went out, and they discovered that there really wasn't a place that fit us, that matched our congregation and all these things. But there was this one place few miles from here, um, which we're now going to call the District Advance Site. And I want to explain that because it's important to this story. The District Advance Site was the Lutheran Church Missouri District, who is the synod that we walk together with. So in other words, it's not a denomination per se, but it is a group of people that walk together that point people to Jesus. That's all it is. That's what it is. And we, have, we, we work together, we partner together to do things. But our congregation is autonomous. We're set free to just do the mission. That's what it's supposed to do. But they had bought some land over in what we'll call Notch um, like 30 years ago. And they bought it and it got really expensive to level it and to do all these things. And they had hundreds of thousands of dollars in, just in their own cost in this land. And so the leaders came together and like, Mark, that's just the, that seems to be the best place. But they had it listed on the market for just shy of $900,000. I mean, hey, what's, a, what's about a million bucks between friends, right? So here's the part. Here's the part where Jesus is like, Mark, if you have ears, listen. So what happened was, is we got together and we're like, well, why don't we just ask our partners at the Missouri District, you know, could we buy that for quite a bit less? We understand our offer is going to be insulting as offers go. And, and we're going to just send it there. And, but we're going to basically say, this, this is two possibilities with this land. Possibility one, it's been on the market for decades. And it's used by Silver Dollar City to park cars. God bless America. We love it. Okay? They're still going to use it to park cars. We're partnering with them to hopefully do that continuously. Or would you like it to be a place where we sow the seed? Did you, did you catch what we're saying? We, you could use it to park cars. Or would you like it also park cars? But now do some of this. Right? Do some of this. Get some water. Go down to the lake. Bring it up here. Whatever you want. Baptize people. How about giving out some of this stuff where Jesus said, this is my body and this is my blood. Take and eat. Take and drink. What, what about that? 
where there's little kids running around and they know that Jesus loves them no matter what. There's people that are struggling with their identity on all kinds of levels, whether it be sexual or vocational or any of those things, and they have the answers through Jesus to know that he has made them, he has saved them. What would happen if we used it for that? We wrote a letter and we sent the letter to them and it just so happened that the letter got to them on a day when they were in a mission conference and they were talking about how can we help struggling churches? How can we partner with churches that need things? How can we participate in this mission that God has sent us on? And then they, they're sitting there, they go to the conference, they're all kind of teary-eyed, they're kind of emotional because it's a very you know, exciting thing. And then they sit down and they open this letter from this little church in Branson and it says, what do you think? We'll offer you 150000 for that $900,000 property. And they were just like, wow. And we said in there, hey, we know this is a silly question. We understand that. But we believe that with God, all things are possible because Jesus said so. And, and they looked at that and they prayed and they talked and I haven't heard the whole details of that conversation, but several of the folks from the board of directors have told me that that was a very emotional conversation and that what they returned back with is they said, you know, a few years ago we gave Praise and Worship a grant of $100,000 to help pay for this Yehu they were trying to bring in. And so what if we just took that money back and gave you the property? Now when that news landed in my lap, the guy who said we're never going to build a building, it was kind of like, oh my, this is a miracle. You've you got to understand, you got to understand, without getting into all the details, Lutherans don't do things like this. They just don't do things like this. This is a miracle, right? And so, and so we were like, wow. And so we got together and we reported this to the congregation. And over the course of time, the congregation agreed, this is God's will for us. Not Mark's will, because Mark wouldn't have ever done it that way. It's God's will. It's the, it, he's working through his people. So we're, now we're to the point where we're about ready to move in there. But I hope you see that it's still not about that. It's still about this. Which would you rather have, a place to park cars or this? You know, it's, it's funny because we, we talk about all the things that we like. Some people think of churches like restaurants, right? And a church that's like a restaurant, you're like, you're hoping I go there and I get fed, right? But, and, and we're going to eat today. I don't know if you guys knew that. We're having dinner together. Jesus kind of had this thing called the Lord's Supper. We're going to eat today. But this is what happens at the church. This is the activity of the church. We just keep spreading seeds. And, and we, one of our core values is that everyone is welcome in the front door because we want to do this. We don't know their situation. We don't know how much of a sinner they are or how much of a righteous person they are. We don't care. God has that all handled. We just do this. This is what we do. And, you, and so the only the question is, is, how is the best way to do this? Sometimes we'll ask that. You know, turns out speaking English is better than speaking other languages, although we're going to study some Greek. Do you see what happens here? God is not a dictator. He's a farmer. And he's invited us to do some spreading of the seeds with him. Take a look at Mark chapter 4, verse 14. Because what this parable does and Jesus' explanation does for us is it, it causes, it, it puts us in some, in some binds. Um, the, the, the scripture here is the sower is sowing the word. Now you need to know that these are going to be MLV. So they're Mark's literal version translated directly from the Greek because there's some key words there I want us to see and zoom in on. The sower is sowing 
the word. This is Jesus describing what the parable of the sower is about. The sower is sowing the word. Now, who is the sower? Now, of course, Jesus is the first sower. There's no question about that because he is in the beginning was the word (laughs) and the word was with God and the word was God, right? And through him, all things were made. He is the he is what you'd call the OG sower, if you'll allow that. Some people know what that means. If you don't, don't worry about it. He is the sower. But then he did this crazy thing after he rose from the dead, which still, to my, in my mind, makes no sense. He says, now I want y'all to go sow. That's a Texas translation, but that's what he said. Go, therefore, and make disciples. He didn't say, go, therefore, and make Lutherans or church attenders or potluck eaters, although we'll do all of those things. He said, I want you to go for it and make disciples. Okay. I want you to go forth and make disciples. And he goes, how, do I want, how are we going to do it? You're going to baptize them and you're going to teach them. And you know what that is? That's this. Sometimes we splash the water. Sometimes we dunk the water. Sometimes we dive in the water. I did a baptism in Lake Tanicomo, not recommended. And so if you've ever been, Lake Tanicomo is cold. So anyway, I didn't know that until that day. And so that's why we did, we, Table Rock. Table Rock's where we do baptism. Um, or we just bring it in here and just dunk people and put water on their face because it's just water. We just need water, but we need word. God's word, his promises, right? And so this idea is the sower is sowing the word. Now the word, we all times think, well, that's the Bible. And of course it is, but it's not limited to that. If you somehow got rid of all the Bibles in the world, the word is not going anywhere, right? Of course, they can't get rid of all the Bibles now because they're not, not only printed, they're digital, they're in every country on the planet, there's countless numbers of languages. There's a few left to do. We're still working on that. The point is this. God's word is alive, and he is constantly doing things. And when we start talking, and we start sharing, and we start loving one another, and participating with one another in in their lives, you know, somebody said, which is more spiritual, to go to church or to rake your neighbor's leaves? I'd kind of be like, well, yeah. Yes, both and, right? Do, why, why do we have to choose? Just rake the leaves and then go to church. Why not? You know, but the idea is the, both are very important and both are key. The sower is sowing the word. I hope you see that who is the sower? Jesus was the original sower. Then he said, I want you guys to go do some sowing. And when he said you guys, he meant y'all, everybody. As you're going on the way where you're going, make disciples, baptize them so they know who they are. They know who they are. They don't have to wonder who they are. Baptism is so they know who they are and teaching them everything that I have commanded so they know who they are and they know what this is all about and they know how to love their neighbor. Sowing happens through all of those things and the word is everything that is in scripture and everything that that God continues to do. Now, The question that is immediately brought up when we talk about all of this, though, is, well, how, why doesn't God just save everyone? I mean, why, I mean, you know, I always said I thought it'd be cool if Jesus just descended into Arrowhead Stadium. I mean, that'd be cool on a number of different levels. But if he just descended into some big place like that and and just had a big giant jumbotron and teleconference and, and invited the whole world to come to that place, and then he would just save everyone that came to the stadium. I think that would be really great, but he chose not to do that. He chose to do this. And any of you who've planted gardens or planted farms or any of those kinds of things, you understand this parable maybe better than I do because I've never really planted anything. My wife's much more of a green thumb than me. But I, I've never really done that. And, and, and you would understand that you have to just 
you got to put some seed in there. You got to work the ground. You got to cultivate. You got to water. You got to do all these things. There's a process. You see, there's a process. But yet, does, when does it grow? Does it grow when you're like sitting there watching it? Well, sometimes. We'll often joke about watching grass grow, right? This, I grew up in Nebraska. I know those jokes. And so you might sit there and say that, but, but actually, it's growing when you're not there, too. There's something going on beyond your understanding, beyond your awareness or your ability to see. And so what's really interesting is what will happen is people will come along and they'll create teachings to try to answer this question, why doesn't God just just save everyone? Like as if he was some sort of dictator who comes down like Zeus and just starts zapping people. Like, okay, you're saved and you're saved and you're saved and you're saved. And they're like, what? That isn't what God is. He's a farmer. He's not like that. But they'll, they're like, so well, the only, well, then that means they'll start to use logic and reason, which is very important, and I never want us to ever put that away. But the question is, is do we take God's word and put our logic and reason above that, or do we put it below that? And of course, the challenge that we have <laughs> is we're broken people who ate from the tree of I know everything. You guys have read Genesis 3, right? The tree of knowledge of good and evil. And you know what that tree did, by definition, is it put us in this default position. Our reason better than God's. And so what happens is teachings come up. And you may have heard these teachings. One of the teachings says, well, God God does all of this before the world was ever made. Don't worry, because we're going to read some scriptures about that. God God did this all, and it's all set, right? It's predestination, as they might say. And it's all there. And some of you are immediately getting nervous. Well, what, what's Mark going to say? Because I've read Ephesians chapter 1 where it actually does say that he saved us before the beginning of the world. So what's he going to say? Is he going to disagree with God? Absolutely not. But then other people come over here and they'll say, well, actually, it's just all choice. Because we were given free will. And at the end of the day, Jesus said, what did he say in this? You've got you to accept it. You've got to accept the word. He said it in today's reading. It's there. It's choice. But then the problem is some people did choose it and they were still in trouble. Now, how do you explain that? Oh, logic and reason, right? And what we find is we have scriptures that teach both of these things, and this just confounds Christians, because what happens is, yes, God did elect us before the beginning of the world. I can pull up 15 scriptures that say that blatantly, that you don't have to like do any translations. You just say it. But at the same time, there's this business of, Jesus said, you did not choose me. I chose you. But then he says, come and follow me. So you're like, well, which is it? And so what happens is one of the first things that happens is some people try to grow tulips. And I'm going to leave that for you guys who might get that joke. And if you don't get it, just move on. But um, they'll say, well, Jesus, that means that Jesus didn't actually die for everybody. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the, of the pantas cosmos in Greek. The whole world. Everybody. Jesus, John chapter 3, verse 16, the most famous verse. For God so loved only the people he died for that he, no. So tulips don't work here. Um, Some people have created teachings that say God did not die for the whole world. Jesus did not die for the whole world. Even though the Bible says that in numerous places very clearly. And then over here, there's these teachings that were like, well, but you got to make a choice. But then when I read Romans chapter 7, it says, it says I, when I, 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 the good that I want to do, that I don't do, and the bad that I don't want to do, this is what I keep on doing. Who's going to rescue me from this? Do you remember the answer to that? Jesus. Oh, see, there we go. Jesus. 
We have this joke here at Praise and Worship. The answer to every question is Jesus. And then somebody will say, well, what's brown and furry and has a tail? Yeah, I know you're thinking it's a squirrel, but it's still Jesus. That's a joke. Okay, moving on to verse 15. You see, the thing is, is if it's all set in stone long before the heavens and the earth were ever made, which it is, then why in the world did he say, I want you to go and preach the gospel to all nations? Which he did. So the answer is, the war is very real. And these are the ones who are beside the road. So Jesus is like, he's like highlighting, he's, these are the ones who are beside the road where the word is actually being sown, right? So it's just, this is, the word is coming out. And when they hear, immediately, it, it says Satan in our English translations, and it is the Greek word Satan, but it's the accuser, the adversary, the one who comes to you every day and says, you are trash, because guess what, if you grew up on the tulip side of the fence and you, you, were, you grew up thinking that um, God did all this before the foundations of the earth, then how do you know you were saved? Well, the answer, not, it's not in the books, but the way it functionally happens is we start measuring on your good works. And we're hoping you got more green in your ledger than you do red. And then we, we don't ever say it that way because, oh, you're saved by grace, saved by grace, saved by grace. But what we actually do is we're checking to see if... Well, Am I saved? Do, is there evidence of my salvation? Right? And then over here, if you're, if you're choosing everything, then you're like, well, I'm a new creation now because I chose to be and, and I need to be good and everything. And, 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 and see, look what's happened here. Look at this. The word is actually being sown. And when they hear, the adversary comes and takes up the word now sown into them. So then the question is, does that mean the adversary is more powerful than God? You see, we get all these logic questions. And, and you're just sitting there going, Mark, you just need to skip to the answers because I'm getting a little grouchy with you, especially on Daylight Savings Day. It's very hard to focus on this. Take a look at verses 16 and 17. And then he's, it's, like he, it's like when he's talking and he points over here, and these are sown upon the rocky ground. And when they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy. But they do not have root in themselves but last only for a very short time. And then when affliction or persecution occurs on account of the word, immediately they stumble. And see that logic and reason when you put it above God's word, then you start thinking, well, they didn't actually believe it. They weren't really saved. And see, so what happens is, if you're the tulip person and you're thinking it's all just done before the foundation of the world, and, you, and we're gonna get back to that, that's one thing, but if you're over here and you're like, but it's about choice, and it's about my ability to choose, then what happens when your ability is called into question? I've had people call me up and say, Mark, I, I chose to be a believer in Jesus like 20 years ago, but right now I'm not sure if I was sincere in that. Right now, because of what the sin I've fallen into indicates maybe I wasn't honest with God then, and maybe I didn't truly give him my heart. And so whether you're believing that God chooses and does everything and we're all just marionettes on strings, or whether you believe it's up to your choice, then the, the problem is, is in both cases, you can lose your faith. Because over here, if you, if you really do believe this, then you're checking your good works to see if you were one of the elect. Or you're, you're going the other way, and you're like, well, God must actually be evil because he didn't save that person over there. Why would he create someone only to damn them to the fires of hell? And over here, you're like, but I think I gave my life to Jesus, but I don't know for sure. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? And then you go to church and you hope to get kind of fired up and get back in and get, okay, I'm okay. And then it just can't, it's this, it's this swinging pendulum of, am I not, am I sure or am I not? You know, it's just all of this. And see what, it's, it's, it, this is the problem is we start questioning the soil. We question what's going on in the dirt. 
and we don't look at what God is doing through the word. The whole thing is about the word. See? I'm just, I will skip to the answer on one thing. Why are some people saved and not others? The answer is we don't know. And we can't answer the question. And that's okay. It just is. It's not okay emotionally. Like, I'm like, Lord, I'm a, I grew up as an IT guy. I, we install software. If there's a glitch in the system, we change things, we fix it. Um, what? <laughs> there's a glitch in the system. And he goes, yeah, read page three of the Bible where Adam and Eve went to that tree where they decided they would be defining good and evil and not trusting my definition of good and evil, which is where we're right back to with this. Do we trust God or not? Take a look at verses 18 and 19. And others are the ones who are being sown into the thistles. If you guys have ever worked in thistles, you know, like, that's not a lot of fun. They're sown into thistles. The seed falls into thistles. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the cares of the age and the deception of wealth and the desires that come in around everything else choke the word, and it proves to be fruitless. And you're sitting there and you're like, well, but, <laughs> and again, this just breaks our systems. Because if you're over here in the tulips and you believe in this idea that predestination is the only topic when it comes to salvation, then what you're left with is that, well, what do I do with this scripture? I have to delete the scripture because <laughs> they heard the word and they somehow resisted it. Because... The eye and tulip is irresistible. Anyway, the point here is this. All of this is happening in real time. And I'm about to tell you the answers that God gives us in his word, but you need to just deal with this question honestly. Is God the one who set everything up in advance? Or is he the one who gives us a choice? And anybody who's been around me will know what I do with these either-or questions. Yes. And that destroys our theological categories. Somebody asked me the other day, what is a Lutheran? And I'm like, a troublemaker. That's what a Lutheran is. How do I know if I'm a Lutheran? I don't know. I, certainly if you eat green bean casserole, then you're a Lutheran. But, and, and here at Praise and Worship, we're not interested in making Lutherans. We're interested in reading God's, what's that word? Word and pointing people to the word in the flesh, his name is Jesus, and then we'll let all that other stuff just come out as it is. Because the original, the OG Lutheran, his name was Martin, he, what he did is he was in a church that was only called the church. There were no denominations, there were no silos, right? There were no flavors or brands of Christianity. There was just Christianity, and Christianity, the wheels had come off of it because the people up top were corrupt. And he's, he's in his village, and he sees this guy come to town who's selling salvation. Has that still happened? Guess what it does. He's coming to town, he's selling salvation. And he's like, this ain't right. And so he writes a letter, and he basically comes up with 95 reasons that ain't right. You might have heard of this, these theses that he nailed on the door. And he sent them to the Pope saying, if you only knew about this, Mr. Pope, you would put an end to it, having no idea that the Pope had sent the fella because he had a building project to pay for. Oops, we know a little something about that too. So the idea here is this business of, of trying to put people in silos. Don't put people in silos. 
But the interesting thing is, is over the years, Christians have come into these categories. Well, I am a Calvinist, or I am an Arminian. And then we stand here and say, well, the Bible says both. And our reason can't figure that out. We're going to just leave it there. Isn't that interesting? And everybody's like, nah, I can't do that, Mark. But Jesus just did. He just said, the word goes out. Word goes out. And these things happen. And it is what it is. The Lord God Almighty had come as a preacher man and was looking people right in the face. And they rejected him. What is the answer to all of this? Verse 20. And those are the ones, notice who I'm pointing at, those are the ones who have been sown upon the rich soil who hear the word and receive it and bear fruit. One thirtyfold, sixtyfold, hundredfold. So if your theology, if your belief system is this, God comes to me and I need to be the one who takes the action, you're not wrong. Says it right there. But if you're one that comes to the, if your theology system is, if I need to, I believe in God, I need to like know that it does not desire on man's effort. Romans chapter nine, verse 16. Also true. How does it work? What is the point of this parable? Why would Jesus tell us it is what it is and there's no way to understand it? Do you, I hope you're getting this. This is hard to do. I can't tell you everything in a 20-minute sermon. We spread the word. Guys, here's the answer to this great dilemma. Keep preaching the gospel. The gospel is this, not what you do for God, even to choose to accept it. It's what God has done to you, for you, to save you before the foundations of the earth. Let the Bible speak. Let God's word speak and just accept it. Receive it. Don't sit there and go, well, that doesn't make sense. Of course it doesn't make sense. If God could make sense, then that means we made him up. But we serve and believe in and trust in a God who goes beyond our comprehension. He goes beyond our logic or our reason. And yet, he's beautiful within the logic and the reason. If you study these topics, you'll just like, it's like finding a diamond and you keep turning it and you're like, oh, that's really cool. That's what happens. And you need to know that the word is here now. How did Jesus say we were going to make disciples? You're going to get them wet and you're going to talk to them. You're going to get them wet and you're going to talk to them. And that doesn't make any sense to us. So what are we doing here? Most of you have already been wet. If you haven't, let me know we have water. But we're talking. And we're spreading the word. And we're trusting in him no matter what happens. And here's the thing. We, this, is, this is the whole crux of the matter. When I open my mouth and I say, Jesus loves you, even you, those words hit your eardrums and they go in somewhere and they do something here and they do something here. And I don't know what they're doing. Only you, maybe not even you, God knows. But I want you to know that you're here. And I invite you to listen, to hear. So my buddy Jeff would be quick to remind me that, you know, this ties into Deuteronomy, to the great Shema. What is the first word of the great Shema, Jeff? Hear. 
Hear, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. Hear, Branson. Hear, people of God, the people of Jesus. And when those words hit you, you don't have to question whether, did you believe it enough? Was that one moment when you gave your heart to God sincere? Do I know if I'm saved? You, O people of God, are saved. And if you don't believe me when I say it, believe him when you eat it and drink it here in a few minutes. Because God's word is coming at you. And it's going to keep coming at you until the day you see Jesus face to face. And you don't have to worry about that day because he's going to say to you, welcome home. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Please pray with me. Father, we ask you boldly to let the people in this room hear. Let the people in this room hear. Shema means to listen, to hear. The Lord God is one. And that Lord God who is one has sent his word to the earth to be among us, to talk to us, to, to teach us, to show us the way because he is the way. And he made that way by going to the cross for each and every one of us in this room, for all people everywhere. And we ask you boldly, Lord, to help us believe that anew every single day. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus, your son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.